following episode of Dave's Video Graveyard contains spoilers and naughty words. Listener discretion is advised. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? It may have been Dave's Video Graveyard. Of all the film podcasts in the world... This is definitely one of them. Covering the best of the worst and the worst of the best of all things film. This is Dave's Video Graveyard with Paulie, Casey and Dave. It is Dave's Video Graveyard for another week. And I'll tell you what, is no Paulie and Casey this week. It is a very special Outback edition of Dave's Video Graveyard. And I'm joined by two very special guests. One is the original co-host of DVG on Wow FM. We are joined by Grant Bennett. Grant, how are you? Good. Good. How are you? Very well. And we are also joined today by a man who is my kind of film fan. Some people go and see a movie. They really enjoy it. Some of them decide to buy it on DVD or they splash out and they get it on Blu-ray. And some people move to a different fucking country and build a museum because the movie was just so special to them. And I'm talking about the very special guest today, Adrian Bennett from the Mad Max 2 Museum in Silverton, New South Wales. Addy, how are you, mate? Uh, doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me, mate. Not too bad. Now, I know you did request that today we cover Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> But I thought, let's go off topic and pick something that I'm sure you've never talked about in your entire life. We are talking today about Mad Max 2, a.k.a. The Road Warrior. Addy, I need to know, fill us in. Tell us the story of this film and how it changed your life. Well, this was back in, oh, this was 1982 when I was 18. I was had a few friends who were all into motorbikes and they'd been to the cinema um, the night before I actually went, this was a Friday night, and they uh, saw me the next day and said to me, uh, said, Eddie, you've got to go see these biker movies. And that's exactly what I thought I was going to see. I just thought it was going to be a couple more Hollywood movies. And my, my main concern really was, was getting to the pub. Yep. Saturday night was out on the bikes and go to the pub. But they said, no, no, you've, you've, you've got to go see these films. So that's what I expected to see. So I went to the cinema with a little bit of an attitude. And, uh, and, that, and that was it. I was so taken by what I'd seen. I mean, I was blown away. I mean, after the first film, I couldn't believe what I'd seen. But, and then, of course, when the second film started and we got into the big chase at the start of the film, that was it. Uh, and that really set me off on a quest um, to, to try and find as much, much as I could about the movies. And just incidentally, I never got to the pub. Yeah. Oh no. no! No, I never got that. Your priorities changed that night. Your whole outlook on life changed. Completely changed altogether. So we're talking 1981. This is all happening for you. Oh, 1980. Just the start of 1982. 1980. Where are you in the world at this time? I'm in Bradford. Uh, well, just outside of Bradford, two miles out of Bradford, which is north of England. It's Chubby not, Brown country. Uh, not far from Chubby. But well, just a little, probably a little bit further north than Chubby Brown. But yeah, not too far away. Well, well actually, everything in England's not too far away. Nice. And um, because you guys are my guests today, we are renaming the show just this week as Derv's Video Graveyard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> under, uh, you know, out of respect for the Bennett family. Um, I just, yeah, how many times do you reckon you managed to see in its theatrical run back in the early 80s? Well, as I say, I was so taken by what I'd seen that um, we, we tried to do as many of the cinemas as possible all around that Yorkshire region. 
Um, I mean, even that was down to, to these tiny little cinemas up back streets, you know, that, that had sticky carpets and about 10 seats. It was, yep. but, but, but we did as many as we could. And back then, if a film was doing well, it would stay on. Nowadays, it's on, on for a, a few weeks and then it's taken they off. They used but. to run them until they stopped making money. That's that, exactly right, exactly right. But with, with Mad Max, uh, I mean, I could, obviously I can only speak uh, for the UK at the time, but with Mad Max, there always seemed to be a lot of people in the cinema. So that, that's that's how much of an impact it had. So, uh, and then not, it wasn't long after that I met uh, I met Linda, my wife. Uh, it was only a, only a year, I think, after that that I met Linda. Long-suffering wife. Yeah, well, she, yes, yes, it has been a, a while. And... Um, and uh, our first, uh, technically our first date was, um, I just said to her, have you, have you seen Mad Max? Uh, and she hadn't, so I said, well, let's let's go see Mad Max. So, and that, that was, yeah. So, And then after that, the uh, when they were stopped showing it at the cinema, um, waited for it to come out on video. And, and yeah, yep. that, was, that was it really, yeah, yeah. I, uh, today watching it, I really must respect you, just overall as a fan of a film, because... The credits started rolling uh, a minute thirty, uh, an hour thirty six into this film. The credits begin, and it's pretty much a roll call of your close family because it looks like you've named all your kids after production <laughs> members of Mad Max. There was Byron's, there was everything. I was like, oh, I'm surprised you don't have a son called Kennedy. Like, well, the, the one of the things, because um, obviously Grant was named after, well, I say obviously, Grant was named after Grant Page, the stunt coordinator, who's actually been here to visit his lovely family. You told me it was Hugh Grant yes. before yeah. we started. <laughs> I was like, I thought you were the time. But yeah, it's named after Hugh Grant. But, um, and I thought, well, the obvious thing to have, to have done would have been to have named one of them Max, but it would have been too obvious. Yes. Um, uh, uh, but, but. Uh, the, the, my, my kind of plans at the start were, if we did have boys, one of them had to be Max, but not Mad Max. I was so taken by what um, by what by the, uh, what Mad Max Aspin, the stunt coordinator, had done in the second film. How he, you know, it was incredible his it, the stunts that he managed to achieve. Um, that I, I, I thought, well, it'd be great to call one of them Max Aspin. But I thought people will just think you've called it, called him after Max, yeah, you know, after Mad Max. So the best we could do for Max Aspin and his and his wife Dale was one of his dogs is named Aspin. Yeah. So that was the best we could do for him. So. But you also Grant gave Grant the middle name Ass. So <laughs> you're halfway there. <laughs> now on the flip side of that, Grant, what is it like growing up? Because I know my kids are growing up with the weird Ninja Turtle yeah. dad. What is it like growing up with? An uber fan of a film. It's, a, oh, it's probably the reason why I like movies, you know, but it's an interesting story to tell people, oh, why are you in Australia? Mad Max. Mel Gibson. <laughs> but no, no, it's pretty, it's pretty good, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. Because uh, it's not like, I like much like with the Turtles for me, it takes up so much of my love and my yeah. life that it is a family member in its own. Yeah. And you have obviously lived your entire life enjoying secondhand but also firsthand the love of Mad Max too yeah that's it's definitely like an ex you know it's the story to tell people and their experience like it's become part of my life now as well and yeah now I know the Bennett family have made so many friends through the production people involved with the films and you know the Millers and pretty much the extended universe of Mad Max as a not only a franchise but as a film in its own or an achievement we should call Mad Max too um, what did you guys think of? And you can you can take the fifth if you have to, Eddie. What was the feeling watching Thunderdome and Fury Road? Well, when I uh, first heard that Thunderdome had, was was being released, 
Um, of course, back then, no internet, so we didn't know, you know, I, I didn't yeah. really buy many magazines, but didn't realise it was going to be released, and um, I forget how I found out about it. But I, to be honest, I was quite excited about seeing Thunderdome because it was a continuation of something that I love so much. Yep. Um, f- although, for me, I knew that Mad Max 2 really was the pinnacle of the movies. That was You, yep. you weren't going to get a better Mad Max movie. Um, but it, I found that really enjoyable uh, as this continuation, uh, but didn't really have the same impact, of course. Yep, yep. Um, and then Fury Road, of course. We, I mean, everybody was excited, you know, thirty years on to get this to get this new uh, this new movie. And again, the same thing, really. I knew that it wasn't going to have the same impact as Mad Max Two. It's not really just about. Uh, the Mad Max franchise for me. It's what Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior did. It's, it's, for me, that was film perfection. Yep. Um, as an as a action movie, I thought Fury Road, well, you probably won't get better when it comes no. to an action movie. Um, but for me, there were a lot of elements missing. And one in particular, I, I suppose, is there's an essence why Mad Max has become so successful. Certainly the first two. There's that, And it's difficult to really put your finger on. There's something unique about Australian cinema. Yep. Uh, and certainly with the Mad Max movies. Um, but you know with Fury Road I think it was just really the way I felt when I watched it was that it was really just about the action about the you know the the cars the costumes about the visuals yes yep Um, and really for me I didn't really find there was enough character development you know that kind of thing but uh, you know still uh, as I say as an action movie you probably won't get better but for for me Mad Max 2 will always be the perfect Mad Max movie and watching Mad Max because I rewatched it today to be you know freshen up on uh, my watching but one thing I noticed was the lack of dialogue and the amount of visual storytelling in Mad Max 2 I can see why it had such a global appeal because dubbing it, you're only dubbing what, like, you know, six minutes of dialogue yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. That's not taking away from anything, particularly when a lot of the dialogue comes from Lord Humongous, who's wearing a mask the entire thing. Yes. So it definitely yeah. set itself in a great way. And like you said, with Aussie cinema, we had a few tentpole moments with the likes of, you know, um, Picnic Hanging Rock from uh, Peter Weir and mm. kind of put the cinema back on the map. But it wasn't even Mad Max 1, that was kind of the, the Australia-wide success. But Mad Max 2 put Aussie cinema on the, you know, on the world scope. And it stayed there until Yahoo Serious fucked it up for everyone in the early 90s. Because <laughs> we, you know, because um, Crocodile Dundee came along and we put all our, all our eggs in that basket. And then uh, Yahoo Serious was going to be our next big export. And yeah. he really ran it into the ground. So... <laughs> Yeah, I just, I really respect, because basically, to put it in perspective to myself, Mad Max 2 to you is Terminator 2 to my generation, where it was the sequel, it did everything better, it ramped everything up, and it was almost perfection, and it peaked. You know what I mean? It's You've had yeah. some strong entries since then, but it's just the almost the be-all, end-all when it comes to the franchise. Storyline-wise, standalone to the other franchise to a degree, like much like um, almost like a Evil Dead One kind of scenario, yeah. where it's like you can watch this yeah. standalone and you get all you need to take from it. Um, yeah, this movie is pretty special. Um, yeah, so tell us how do you make the decision? You know what? I'm going to move to the middle of Whoop Whoop and build a museum. How does that happen? Well. Coming to Australia, uh, it, it really was always a dream. 
Um, we were never in a position, you know, even when the, when, when the kids were younger, we were never in a position financially or otherwise. You know, it's, when you're a young family, most people don't know that it's all about the family, you know, and it's and, and every single penny you've got goes into the family. Uh, so it was only it was really only until it was two thousand and two thousand and four uh, that we were we'd got into a little bit of a better position and decided that we could do at least two weeks um, in Australia. So we did, we did, we decided and, and bear in mind as well I had this fear of getting on getting on a plane even though as a even though as a as a young toddler I'd been to the states with the family but don't really remember much about that. But yep. I had this big problem about getting on this. I don't suppose it was flying that was problem. I think it was crashing. Yeah, yeah. Was, well, I've heard the crashing way worse than the flying. It's not a good thing, is it? It's not a good look either. But. So um, so I decided, well, look, you're going to have to bite the bullet on this one because they're not going to build a bridge from the UK to Australia. You're not going to be able to drive this. So I just thought, right, let's go for it. So the first, it was two weeks, the first week of the uh, of the holiday was, was spent, I think most, most of the time was spent down around Geelong where the first film yes, was shot, yep. all around that area, which was fantastic. But for me, I couldn't wait to get out to Broken Hill and Silverton. So it was it was March two thousand and four. It wasn't too hot, and it was just coming to sunset because we'd had a few problems with a few blowouts on the cars that were coming yep. on, but we managed to get them sorted. So we got here. and blowouts is what you call it when you pull over and spend some time with a gentleman <laughs> at a truck stop. Yeah, thanks for that, Dave. <laughs> Tell <right>. everybody. <laughs> so oh, is that a secret? So we got to. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably so, not wear that T-shirt that offers the service. So anyway, sorry. So continue. We uh, we got into Silverton. Uh, we grabbed a beer at the hotel and we drove out to the Monday Monday Lookout, which is one of the most beautiful places. And uh, for it, those and that it, don't know, that mm. is the setting of the big rig wreck in Mamax Two. Mm. Iconic. Um, it is a local, well-known spot, but it also is just a road in the middle of nowhere, going down a sloping so, lookout. Really, it's, it's, there's something special about the place. And it, and when we first uh, when we first came over the crest, when you first actually witnessed the whole view across the, the plains, which was incredible. I got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps telling you about it now. Yep. Um, and do you know that this there was a funny feeling. Uh, bear in mind that that you know this is the first time I'd been to Australia, but it felt to me like I'd come home. I think that was to do with the fact I'd kind of familiarised myself so much with Australia because of the movie, yeah, and because of the outback. I mean, for me, this is a real Australia. I absolutely love it. The, the landscape, uh, the out, the outback here is unique. There's nowhere like it on earth, you know. So, so to be in that spot at that time, you know, right where those scenes were shot, you know, and, and you know, I'm still excited in Australia. And let alone truth be told, even till you know we get seasons of heavy rainfall, but mm. here in Silverton. It pretty much, other than the big ugly fucking wind turbines, it still looks so similar to what you see on the screen. It's it, nothing much has changed. Nothing much at all has changed in Silverton in, in many, many, well, in, in, in probably 50 years, 60 years, possibly. You know, Too many people from the UK, but other than that, it's very similar. There has been an influx. It has been mentioned before. <laughs> the comments have been made. Um, so I just, I was there, I was in awe. I couldn't believe I'm actually stood on this part of the road, you know, for the opening and closing scenes of the film. And I just, I just said to Linda, my wife, I just said, well, look, I said, do you, do you think you could live here? Well, thinking it would never happen, she said yes. Well, that was a big mistake for the start because she knew I wasn't going to back down on that one. <laughs> that was not um, hypothetical. We so, just blinked and we were here. <laughs> so that, so that was it. So we just, yeah, we, we just told the, we just told told the lads, look, you know, just 
behave yourselves and everything because we're you know hopefully we'll be moving to Australia. I mean, it took two years. Yeah. I mean, because it didn't help because of mine and Linda's ages as well because we lost the points and everything. But but I've got I, I I've, I've just got to tell you that tell you this, Dave. What 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 happened with the when we were actually applying for the whole thing? Because this is a, this is I'll I'll always put this down to the fact that that we got to Australia because of this reason. So it took me a year to do a skill assessment. Now I'm doing this from the UK, but I'm doing this for Australia. So it, yes, it, and th- there was so much, so many details, and so many things that you had to collect. You're ticking boxes like can coward punch someone after having <laughs> yeah. a bottle of can grow a mullet, can grow a mullet, yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I had to get all stat decks and everything, and, and they even I even had to get stat stat decks from people around the, the little business I had. So you, that you would have had to prove that you could do I, your I trade to, and yes. everything. Yeah, it, it was, and I got to the point. I got to the point where I thought, God, I don't know if I can carry on with this. It's, it was so, so difficult to do. But I thought, no, if I'm not going to get to Australia, it's because they don't want me, not because I'm yes. giving up. So yep. I carried on. We got that, uh, we got the skill assessment done fantastic. And then we had to do, actually apply for the visas. Now, we went through an agent in, in Adelaide. We were dealing with an agent in Adelaide. And she actually told us that we wouldn't get um, permanent residency because what we'd have to do is get uh, a three-year temporary visa and ha- I'd have to find employment and get get work and, yeah, get, and yeah. get, get, the, get, the, get the employer to, to sponsor me, uh, which I was a little bit concerned about because bear in mind we were selling up everything and yeah. moving the halfway around the world. So you, you were pretty much burning down the forest you were leaving. Exactly. Yeah. Everything was going. Everything yeah. was going. So um, anyway, um, so as I say, we were told that we wouldn't get this, uh, the, the, this permanent uh, residency. So... Um, once we'd once we'd completed all the all the paperwork and and uh, well just before we completed all the paperwork there was a little bit at the end of, of this paperwork that said do you have anything else to contribute that may help towards your application for your visas to come to live in Australia so I thought oh this is my time to shine so I thought willing to give up my son Grant you know I made it you yeah. see all the be best surprised. ideas come afterwards <laughs> yeah. don't they that's it but, um, so I thought well here I go then so I thought well I've got nothing to lose so I actually started to write uh, literally an essay on my love for Australia but mainly my love for Mad Max can you yeah. believe it this is on an application yeah so I put in a couple of magazine articles. I was in a couple of magazines in the UK because of one of the, the Interceptor built in England. Of course. Yeah. So, so I, was, I put up, and also I think it was a German, GQ magazine, Germany, I ended up in as well. But also uh, I'd done some, uh, I'd done a filming shoot for, I think it was on for Sky TV. It was 30 greatest movie cars. I had to do a shoot on that. So I put all that in the application. Yep. And I thought, what have you got to lose? Just show them how much you want to be here. We actually got... Permanent residency. Can you believe this? The guy at the immigration must have must have looked down at this and thought, "We've got to have this guy. This guy's more Australian after popular. We've got yeah, to have it. Yeah. We got permanent resident. We weren't supposed to get permanent residency. So yeah. he's come along and start. St- I remember when I remember getting the email. Um, you know, well, however long it is now, I forget. I forget how long ago it was. Two thousand and six. Six we moved to. I remember getting an email and it was from Australian immigration, and I was shaking. I mean, I was absolutely shaking, like because I thought, and you know, when you you don't quite open, you don't, you just don't want to yeah, open it. Yeah. You, you've got to. So I opened it up, and the first thing that I read, the top line, and I'm looking through my fingers. I don't actually look at the screen. 
And the first thing I saw that on, on, on the top line was, we are pleased. And as soon as, oh. I didn't even read the rest. Yeah. I'm throwing stuff in the air and I rung Linda up at work. And I, anyway, that was, so that's how we, that's how we ended up getting it. But we had to, we had to live in South Australia. We lived in Adelaide for a couple of years as part of the visa requirements. You know, I'm a, I had to actually get, yeah. fill the skill shortage. So I'm a panel beater and a painter by trade. And you know, I had a great job. I had a great boss, I had a great job down there in Adelaide. And, and but he knew my passion for coming out here. Yeah. And, uh, and then, it was only a step in the ladder, it wasn't. Oh, that, that? that's what it was, yeah. really. Yeah. So, and and then eventually, because uh, we were coming up here regular. Sometimes I come up on my own. Sometimes I come up with Linda and the, and the, and the lads. And um, and the reason that the reason that the museum came about was when we when we came here on holiday. Um, I mean, obviously, so excited to be here. I mean, it was like yeah. a dream come true. But I just found it really odd that there was nothing that paid homage. Not just to Mad Max Two, but to any of them, any of the well-known movies that were shot here. I thought it was really odd. I grew up in Broken Hill until I was twenty-two, and it used to baffle me that you know you go have a drink with a local, and they'll in a second they'll drop the Mad Max Two was filmed here. They'll mm. drop that Wake and Fright was filmed here, or Priscilla Queen of the Desert, or Halle Berry's Race of the Sun. If you talk to me, <laughs> however. <laughs> Nothing to celebrate. No. Like yeah, even yeah. you go you go to certain parts of the world where there's a plaque up and says here is where such and such, including a shot of the landscape you're standing looking at. None of that. It was like an anti celebration. Like I said, if we had, as you know, Broken Hills culture is very unique. Yes. Um, it is. Uh, I've said it many times. It's Moss Eisley from Star Wars because it, it is a scum of hive. You know, it's a hive <laughs> of scum and villainy. But at the same time, we can say that. But if yeah. you're from away and say that, yes. you're the worst person yeah, on earth. But, yeah, it really was a barren wasteland mm-hmm. or a living desert wasteland yes. of uh, the culture that's there. It's mm-hmm. already there. Nothing changes the fact these movies were made there. And that's there was right. no celebration. So when – because luckily a friend of mine, a mutual friend of Grant and I, he's the one that told me that you guys were in town. Right. And as it so happened to work out, at the time I was shooting a music video. And I needed cars for that said video. And uh, he kept telling me about all the work you were doing. He goes, oh, he's just got a shed full of Mad Max cars, <laughs> but he hasn't opened the museum or anything. I'm like, wonder if we could use one once, you know, yeah. just, just drive it a bit. And we, we put the feelers out and you guys come back. And you said, well, until the museum opened, they're just sitting there. So have at it. Um, so I believe we got the, is it Landau? Is that yeah, the Landau. Yep. The Landau. The Interceptor as well. The, the Interceptor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we stole the explosion from Mad Max 1. <laughs> and it was just, it was, we did not deserve the production value that you guys brought us. So even years on, I'm so grateful for what you guys did for us. Um, oh, and that's why I took pity and let Ben. Uh, yeah, ben. Yeah. Ben. <laughs> ben. You never know my name from his Ben. I let Grant be a co-host out of pity. Yeah. And thanks for you guys. No, but honestly, this, I think you are, what I see in you, Addy, every time I come to this place, you are the living embodiment of what we celebrate about movies. Mm. This is one movie made on the other side of the planet from you that has changed everything about your life. Yeah. If you went to the pub that night, you would not be sitting here in the outback right now. That's right. That is the testament to how powerful a film can be. Yeah. I think I definitely think it was uh, it, it was meant to be. And you know I get asked all the time, you know people people say to me, "Can what? I guess?" Oh, what's wrong with your son? <laughs> oh my God. I was going to sit here between this. It's, it's all right. <laughs> but I get, I get asked all the time, you know, the, the, pe- people say to me, uh, you know, what was it about the film? And, it, and it's the most 
you'd think it'd be the easiest question to answer. It's not. It's the most difficult question to answer. It, the only way I can describe it is, for me, is all the planets aligned. Everything just aligned to me. And it's not just the 90 minutes you see on screen that I'm interested in. It's what went into putting this on screen. Because, as I said, to me, regardless of the subject matter, it is film perfection. I mean, actually, what it is, it's a modern-day Western. Yes. It's basically a modern-day Western. But, but, it, but regardless of that subject matter, you know, it, it's just... Everything about the film, from the editing, the cinematography, the sound, you know, everything just worked so well together. Um, there wasn't any part of the film that kind of didn't work, where you thought, oh, they could have done better there. There isn't anything they really could have done better. They made the perfect movie, you know. Today, watching it for the first time is the first time I got Eastwood vibes from the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I was yeah. watching going, wow, this really yeah. is that lone gunman yeah, yeah. that strolls into yeah. someone else's doesn't story, yeah, moves it, it on, yeah, and then right. moves out, which I think that was what I found negative about Fury Road, because mm. they said, oh, well, that's what will make Max. Mm-hmm. It's like, no... Yeah. But it still needs to play to Max's strengths. He can't just be a MacGuffin in his own movie, mm-hmm. which yeah, I think yeah. is what, as much as I love Fury Road, he was a MacGuffin in that yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. It, you could have got a cardboard cutout of yes. Mel to play yeah. Max like, in yeah. Fury Road. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, watching it today, for those who don't know, it's set, how many years after Mad Max 1 in storytelling is it set? Uh, well, it's, it's listed as, as three years. It's three actually years. That, that, yeah, yeah the, th- the third one, Beyond Thunderdome, is supposed to be 15 years, but it actually it, it says three years after the, after the death of his wife and child. Yes. Uh, sorry, spoiler. spoiler. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> from 30 odd years ago. I would like anyone there listening that hasn't seen these films, go on YouTube and find the clip of from Mad Max 1, of Mel arriving home and discovering that his wife and child aren't in the house and he runs down the road in all white. He's got his white singlet, his white... I've never seen an actor run more like a ballerina <laughs> than Mel, as much as... Because still, you know, all these... He was holding that heavy shotgun yes, as well. Yeah, right? you know, a, it was so, it was <laughs> yeah. so uh, Paul Mercurio in Strictly Ballroom, the way he ran... But I do love, and I will have a never-ending love for Mel Gibson. We can't apologise for the things he's gone and said and done, but we all have bad no, moments I think he's a great as well. Actor, you know what I mean? mm. I'm a filmmaker as well. Judging yeah. just from the films he makes yeah. and the mm-hmm. films he stars in, he's, he's pretty talented. infallible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone can argue against that because yeah. he is one of the most amazing storytellers when it comes to directing, mm. yeah. as well as what he does in front of the camera. But I still think he was he was right on the crest of like, maybe I'll be a song and dance man. Do you know what I mean? Like, with Mad Max 1, if that hadn't landed, he'd go on and make, you know, uh, what women want what for his whole series. <laughs> Mad Max 2 rolls around and he cements himself worldwide as a movie star, obviously going on and um, Richard Donner obviously was a big fan of Mad Max, cast him in uh, Lethal Weapon, which yeah. skyrocketed him to fame. And he became the... To some people, he became the poor man's Kurt Russell. <laughs> to who? To you? <laughs> to you? Just to me. I like to say some people to cover up my <laughs> own. You, yeah. Yeah. Was that because of the haircut? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just, it's just because they had the exact same hairdo. Um, Mel Gibson in this is fantastic because he doesn't have to, and this is the downfall of both sometimes Mel, but particularly early Mel. Hugh does it as well, and so does Sam Worthington. Get rid of that Aussie accent. It is so hard to get rid of. Yes. But the beauty of Max is he's from Melbourne, and so you get the Aussie accent the whole (laughs) way through. Um, How many words would he speak in this movie? Maybe like 20? 
like really not a dialogue heavy film. In uh, in Mad Max Two, yeah, oh, I think it was twenty six short spurts of. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's something like that. Might have, it might have, it might have even been less than that. But I think it was, I think I'm pretty sure it was. About, oh, maybe sixteen line. I know there's a six in there somewhere. I think, but but um, yeah, not many. But again, just going back to that, and you, and you mentioned it earlier about George Miller's story story It's visual. Yes. That's the great thing about everything he does is visual. You know, and it, anyone that wants to talk shit, if you don't like Mad Max, not only you're wrong, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter because <laughs> you cannot argue about his visual storytelling because you even look at his family-friendly end of the scale. You look at Happy Feet. You look at Babe. Yeah. Those films tell, you know, because movies now, so often it's like, let's sit down and have the characters explain the movie to you for a good mm. 15 minutes. We'll spread it throughout the movie. This was what you. This is the best example to me of what you see is what you get filmmaking. That's right. And George yeah. Miller, like, not only have you built an entire museum for a movie, but you've got to meet so many people involved with the making of that movie. That just doesn't happen. I can't get up tomorrow and go, hey, <laughs> David Wenham, <laughs> hey, David Wenham, you want to talk about Van Helsing? No? Oh, okay. <laughs> You know what's uh, what, what's really nice about the people I've met from the I have met quite a few crew members and become very good friends with some of them some some of them and, and visit them regularly but what but but what's really really nice about these people is they treat you like a friend. There's no egos. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this wouldn't happen in Hollywood. You know, every time we've had a had a, another cast member or, or a crew member that's come through the door, um, they talk to you like they've, they've uh, you know, and treat you like they've known you for years. And, I'm, and I'm sitting looking at a photo of you and Bruce Spence, literally having a beer at the bar. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just so surreal that not only have you fallen in love with this movie, you've made this movie a part of your life, and the people involved in it have seen what mm-hmm. you see in this movie, and they're like. Yeah. It's a mutual respect. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not you fanboying. A bit of it is you being a mm-hmm. fanboy, but they're yeah. seeing, wow, this man lives and breathes part of my work. Yep. It might not be all the movies I'm in, but that is all I need is to see the love that you show outwardly. You've done more for the Mad Max franchise <laughs> promotion-wise than I think anyone involved. Well, I, th- I think a big part of it for me as well is um, – to promote what these people did, the achievements that they made, because most of the time when people watch a movie, they'll walk away, the credits roll up. I hate that. I, I like to sit down and watch the credits for what people have done, even down to the seamstress, you know, so anybody. Just streaming services are now mm-hmm. fast-forwarding the oh, credits of stuff or exiting out, that. like Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah. Like, they exit out, and, and I'm like, excuse you. Like, yeah. particularly... Uh, yeah. An example being The Mandalorian. I wanted to know everyone that worked on the Robert yeah, Rodriguez yeah. episode mm-hmm. exited goes, straight no, out. No, it's like, like, no one watches credits these it, days. Some I'm of like, us still do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, th- I think it's important. Um, I th- and and it's, I think in a way it's, it's, it's giving respect. And, I, and, I, and that's important uh, for me, really. To, and, and when we get visitors through, uh, come through the door and we end up chatting and that, and there's, there's a, you know, stories that I'll, I'll start telling them about different crew members and what, what's happened and that, it's... Um, as I say, it, it's really promoting their achievement in the film, what they achieve, because they, they really are, I suppose, they're the unsung heroes. They're the people behind the cameras. That you don't, They're the people that made the film what it was, you know, and put 100% into making this film. You know, th- th- this is another another thing I, t- uh, as, uh, you know, I like to talk about as well. Even though the $4 million on this film, it, it was the most expensive Australian film at the time, it was a drop in the ocean to what was being spent on Hollywood movies. And the reason is, you see, the, the reason as well that the film ended up being as good as it was is because they did the best with what they had. 
they didn't have the special effects of computer graphics, anything like that. You know, even the arrows that they shot in the film were fired down with a catapult yeah. down a cable. You can see the cable, but it doesn't detract from the film. You know, they did the best they could to achieve the best that they could get out of what they were doing, you know, and that clearly shows on screen. And that's really what, what interests me and what and why I like to be able to share these stories with people who come through the door. I like them to know that there's a lot more to this film than just the 90 minutes you see on screen. Yep. You know, that, that's really important to me as well. So, Definitely, definitely. Like, it's... It's such a unique film as well because mm. we're not just talking about a film that people loved that you know put Mel Mac, uh, Mel Gibson, George Miller, the, the film itself on the map. This is a movie that I always talk about game changers. So mm. the likes of The Matrix, Fight Club, yeah. Star Wars, these movies that came mm. out and all of a sudden the copycats were lined up around the block. Well, that's right. Italian cinema when it comes to post-apocalyptic <laughs> films were like, Oh, much much like the Sergio Leone cowboy movies. Mm-hmm. They went, hang on, we can just go out into the desert, film, yeah. and it looks legit, <laughs> yeah. costs nothing. That's right. We'll spend all the money on an actor. Yeah. And suddenly the Italian post-apocalyptic scene were like, holy shit. Mad Max is just, yeah. the, they're, they're just welding stuff onto <laughs> old cars and driving out yeah. the desert. We've That's got right. deserts. Yeah. So you got the likes of, you know, Bronx Warriors, Exterminators 2000, all these movies. That's right. Spawned. Yeah. From the power of one movie. Yes. Yeah. And they're still doing that today as well. Yeah. Well, I, mean, still I know today. that you yeah. you quite often get in your, your drag and try to like <laughs> get the, no, the I, Priscilla. I, I was going to say it. Talk more and I'll stop picking <laughs> on you. I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. I went for some questions. I'm well, well some questions. You, you know, there was no, um, with Mad Max 2, there was no gradual process to this movie. It wasn't like movies were being made similar. And we were leading up to this big crescendo of Mad Max 2 being released. It was wow. It was bang straight away. You know, there was, as I say, there was no introduction to this. Uh, and that's really what I think, what, what the impact it had was absolutely incredible because we hadn't seen anything like this before. And there was nothing over, to, over the top with the film. Um, you know, even down to the costumes, you know, if, like you were just talking about the Italian, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of the Italian films where they had spikes and tubes and things. You know, with, with the costumes in this film, Norma Morisot was a costume designer. She went out to the sports shops. Yeah. You know, and, I, I and, think and, it shows more so with the good guys at the refinery than it does the bad guys. Yeah, I think so. Because yes, it's yeah. like, hang on, they're just white hockey pads. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so, um, but but that was it. It was just wow. It was just right into you, right in your face, and it, and it, and it, in a way, I suppose I think it kind of. I don't know if I'll be right in saying did it wake up the industry in a way, but I think it's set. A, I think Grant said this before anyway. I, I think it's set a bar. It really I don't raised the bar. Grant said anything. You know? <laughs> I'll chime in every now and then. But, uh, but yeah, de- it definitely raised the bar for action movie making and storytelling. You know, what I mean, it was an achievement. You yeah, know what I mean, as far yeah. as cinema. Yeah, like especially with the compound building and stuff like that. Oh, definitely, like it was and an achievement. One thing you got to say about this movie, you know, everyone flies the flag, and myself included, for the amazing practical way that the thing was filmed. John mm-hmm. Carpenter's yeah. The Thing eighty two. Yeah, that is nothing compared to the live action stunts, mm-hmm. the explosion of the compound at the end of this movie. What I would give to see that happen because mm-hmm. I know the location where that happened. Mm-hmm. And it would be so visually spectacular. We're talking up on a ridge of the pinnacles, mm-hmm. looking down, seeing a post-apocalyptic thing explode. Now, I know for a fact that you are, I don't know if it's a secret or not, but you are rebuilding the compound for a celebration. Yes, this is, yes. 
Yeah, please blow it up when you finish. <laughs> <laughs> please blow it up when you finish. You know that gets after you, you finish using it. When they do have to blow up these film sets after they've built them, it's like what do they feel? You know what I mean? The artists, and then they got to blow them up. You know, the, I always think about that. Like yeah. you know, the guy that stands Terminator Two stands for forty hours of a week, airbrushing the side yeah. of the tanker in the like um in the steel mill at the mm-hmm. end, only for it to it's explode. Yeah. You're just like. <laughs> oh, that's got to hurt. Or the bridge builders in True Lies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there's effort. Yeah. And yeah. Blown well, up from oh, the movie. Look at this. If you look at it with a magnifying glass, you can see a real crack <laughs> down the side of it. It's like... Well, it's well, yeah. well, you know, it took, it took $250,000, quarter of a million dollars, to build the Mad Max 2 compound, and it cost exactly the same amount of cash to blow the thing up. Wow. And they had to get expert, explosives experts in from all over, including from the UK... Now, here's a little here's a little thing for anybody that might be interested in looking at this. When just before the compound explodes and explodes and as as it's exploding at the end, if you look from the compound gate where the bus was, you'll see a thick black cable running from there all the way around the other side of the pinnacle. So that was, of course, for the explosives. For the actually, well, well was it a plunger back then? We don't know. But it could have been funny. But, it's just uh, a car battery. <laughs> but absolutely incredible. And of course, they had these huge uh, steel tubs of fuel as well. That that. Uh, but for all the work, I mean, it's like you know, just going back to what Grant was saying about about you know how these guys and yourself, how these guys must have felt about putting all this work and effort. Well, that was exactly the same when they built the Landau. The Landau was one of the most you know just beautiful creations that they'd, they'd made for the film. And they put the heart and soul, you know, the crew, Dave Thomas, who was the chief mechanic and all the boys, had put the heart and soul into putting this beautiful land out together. And it was rolled within the first few minutes of the <laughs> film. And these guys were like, what? You, do you know what you're doing? They rolled and wrecked this thing. And then to add insult to injury, they dragged the car. Um, they replaced one of the cars outside the compound. So they dragged the car, they stripped it and dragged it and set it outside the compound. You know, I mean, I, most people noticed that it was the Landover. But yeah, but, but, but you know, that's, the, that's what they do. They put all this effort in to get, this, to get the, the, the one shot that they need, you know. And it's, you know, I suppose when you do that, do that for a living, I mean, you, you know, I don't, I don't suppose you're going to shed many tears over no, something but, getting blown but up. Also, but also, it is, it is the, a great example of that golden era of cinema when it comes mm. to you only have one take because right. you've only built one yeah. car. Mm-hmm. You've only got one chance of the stunt because if you do it wrong, you're going to die. <laughs> you know a lot of the stunt people involved with this movie. Mm-hmm. There was some things that would not fly in 2020 let alone back then. No, they, they, they pushed the boundaries. I mean, there was no occupational health and safety. And actually, Max Aspin, who was a, became a very good friend before, obviously, he passed away a few years ago now, but Max became a good friend. And I'd sit and chat with Max about how he'd go on about, you know, setting up these stunts. But because they ended up doing away with the script, they, they made the story up as it went on. They started to add things. They knew they were onto something a lot more than what was written in the script. So they would say to Max, they would say, Max, look, we've come up with this idea for a stunt, a little bit dangerous, but do you think it would work? And Max would say, well, look, you can't technically rehearse this, a stunt, especially not the ones you want. So yeah. I'll tell you what, he'd say, look, I'll do it in costume, you film it. If it works, put it in the film. If it doesn't, I'll see you in hospital. <laughs> and that's, and that's, that's how it would work. I mean, there was a couple of, couple of broken bones uh, where, where they did really push the boundary, but, but you know, just to kind of let people know really what it was like back then. Um, most of the film, 80% of the film were Broken Hill locals. Yep. Most of the time in harm's way. Now, 
when you see when when the the the, the 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 final chase when the snake truck is banging into the side of the truck you've got max aspin who was driving the truck bear in mind he was using a crutch for the clutch pedal because it already broke his ankle yeah but you had one of the lead main actors vernon wells in the back but you also had a broken hill local who was also in the back holding on for dear life onto the onto the dart gun, the actual arrow gun in the, yeah, in yeah, the back yeah. of the car. And they you see the snake thing. to his helmet. Oh, no, that was in another scene. But but these locals were actually in harm's way. But I tell you what, it's a good job they were broken ill locals. Otherwise, pe- people wouldn't have done it. You know, these yeah. guys were up for anything. I mean, they were actually, they, this is what this is what a lot of these, a lot of the locals, we used to do this anyway. They were out bush bashing on a weekend yeah. on old bikes and cars. So it was. It's, you know. Do you want to do what you did last weekend, but this weekend you'd be in a movie for it? In yeah, costume, sure. And sure. get paid for it, you know. We can give you a pair. We can't give you new thongs, but we can repair yours. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, mate. They loved it. I mean, you know, I said it in an inter- I said it in an interview or two. If it, if it wasn't for the locals, you know, the film would have been what it would have been. You couldn't have brought. You know, you couldn't have brought people in and and had that same impact and and the same look of the... These guys just looked like they belonged in this post-apocalyptic world, you know. We're talking an entire town, particularly early 80s. They look like the characters from Foot Rock Flats and they act like Johnny Knoxville from Jagger. Plus they're drunk. Like, honestly, it is a a melting pot of gloriousness. And the other thing I also love, being that it's post-apocalyptic, they got away with so much. Not only did they manage to make it look more expensive than it really was, mm, yep. but they didn't have to polish anything. You didn't have to worry about, you know, continuity in this film is probably a nightmare. It like is, yep. if you were to watch it with that kind of eye, it's probably a nightmare. But you do not notice it because like, oh, well, there's one pile of rubble they went past. They crashed into that pile of rubble. They did this. And like I'm sure um, recently, even though it's a totally off the subject movie, Recently, the movie Top End Wedding, they filmed a whole heap of Adelaide scenes in my local suburb, and they're just driving, having conversation in the car. And I look through the window of the car, and I'm like, okay, they're four blocks further back, they're four (laughs) blocks further front, they're now going the opposite way. Like, you know, they're just doing a big circle, and I'm picking up on that. And I think if you were to fine-tooth comb this movie as well, you'd be like, okay, now they're at the pinnacles and he's just thrown a rock and it's landed at Silverton. Like. <laughs> no, the, the, the continuity in Mad Max 2 is is really, really terrible, but it's terrible in a good way. Because yes, that's what it, I mean. it makes it so interesting. Yep. Um, but uh, but yeah, it is it, it is pretty it is, it is pretty bad. But it would have been, I think, I think for a film like this, it would have been a nightmare. I think to to try and get the continuity absolutely oh, 100%. perfect, you know. The, the, and like the, you say, if they're making up the stunts on the fly, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not yeah. gonna like because all of a sudden, oh, because you know, a, a modern day filmmaker, the scene where Max makes his way through the wreckage of the the rig mm. and goes around, and Wes actually flies some of the wreckage, like mm. just a li- doesn't get much air, but just a little bit of a jump. Mm. Modern day, that would go. He'd also the bike would also go around, but you could yeah. tell the stunt goes like. Now I'm going to fly that. I'm going to well, fly. Well, actually, that was that was um, that was Kim Noyce um, with Glenn Boswell on the back. And actually, when you watch that scene again, you'll see that when they land, uh, Glenn Boswell's right foot peg snaps off and his foot hits the ground. Oh, right. So they had to re weld it back up. But you're right. Uh, I've also got a little bit of uh, I've got got a little bit of footage of, of actually Kim Noyce walking the ramp before he does that little stunt, just yeah. checking it's all good. But you're right. It, it, you know, in real life, the bike would have gone just around. Just gone but, straight around, yeah. But, uh, I, I do so enjoy, like, reading all the trivia, which uh, reading the trivia for you 
would be like, you know, it's so mute because you would have all this inside your brain. But I was blown away. Like a lot of the shots of Max driving, they welted like a landing plate on the driver's side of the car and a cameraman actually held on and filmed through the window, but they didn't account for the dip of the suspension. And so that plate, Dragged along the ground the first few takes. Right. And then rather than fix it, the camera guy just got used to it. And he's like, oh, it's okay. I just won't, I won't flinch when the sparks shoot up. That is testament for what this film is. Um, yeah. The other thing I love about this film is it was, it was R-rated, yeah? Uh, yes. Uh, no, it, got, it was actually, it was, it's MA rated. The first one was R-rated. It originally released yeah. as an R-rated film. Yeah. The reason I say that is, it doesn't pull any punches, mm-hmm. and which I found that Thunderdome very much so does pull mm-hmm. punches. Yeah. Mad Max doesn't, but I don't think – I think much like – and I'm not taking anything away from George Miller because he's amazing, but much like George Lucas, I think hindsight was 2020 when it comes to Mad Max 1 because mm-hmm. a lot of that I'm sure he just like, oh, I'll just <laughs> sew it together, I'll do a bit of a Frankenstein. <laughs> Then take credit when it worked at the end. Yeah. And I think that's the example here as well because yeah. a lot of it's like, oh, okay. So, you, you know, you're getting the, the hostages burned alive, which is probably my favourite scene of the movie. You're getting so much cool violence. Um, there is an extended scene where Wes cops one of his own arrow. Well, he cops an arrow by accident from one of the other marauders in his mm-hmm. arm. And there was that prolonged scene of him pulling it out. But he doesn't pull it out quickly. He really slowly... Twists it, make eye contact, winces and then pulls it out. I'm like, that is perfection the way that's delivered. And uh, so take me through, if you have time, the people you've managed to meet over the time. Have you met George Miller? We'll start Uh, at the top. I met George Miller, oh, this would have to be about 12 years ago. I actually met him in Sydney at the ABC studios. Actually, it was at the Andrew Denton show. Nice. Uh, One of the most kindest men and just nicest people you could meet he's got all the time in the world for you just absolute pleasure what was it like hearing him did he give any feedback did he know what you were doing well at the time he didn't do you know i felt i felt really stupid at the time because i, I was with a friend of mine from sydney and we'd met him in the foyer because it, yes. was, it was all arranged to meet him but it all went a bit wrong so we, we met him and I did say to him, I said, oh, I said, George, I just want to let you know that if you, I'm going to be opening a museum in, in, in Silverton outside of Broken Hill, a Mad Max 2 museum. And, and, and this was the bit I thought, you shouldn't have said that. But I said to him, I said, if you ever actually happen to be passing Silverton, <laughs> you know, in the middle of nowhere. Oh, you know, it's uh, a, th- you call a, th- a well-known thoroughfare to nowhere. <laughs> but listen to this. This is, this is where it all came around. It all kind of came, came back on itself because what did they start doing pre-production for? Fury Road. In, in, in 2010. Yes, yep. Now, Guy Norris, who broke his leg in the movie, one of the stuntmen, um, he actually phoned me up. Uh, this was while they were here doing pre-production. And, and he said, look, he said, oh, Adrian, he said, it's Guy Norris. He said, I'd, uh, I just want to let you know that somebody's going to be coming to see you in 10 minutes. And he didn't say who. So I thought, well, oh, this is going to be interesting. Anyway, he, he rung up a few minutes later. He said, oh, Adrian, so I've got to tell you, he said, it was actually George Miller and his family that wanted to call in and see you, but George is really busy out here. Yeah. So his wife... Uh, Mark Sixel and the t- and his two sons are going to come and see, which they did. Actually, yeah. actually, Mark got the Oscar for editing Fury Road, wow. which which must have been a, in, in absolutely intense. But I, but I met George, uh, yeah. So I did actually meet him twelve years ago, and I'd met Bruce Spence about about I was about twelve years ago as well when he was here. Um, 
Oh, Christopher Greaves that played the mechanics assistant, he actually came through here to yep. to, to to see us. Um, quite a few, quite quite a lot of the crew members have been. Oh, we've had Grace, what Graham Grace Walker, who went on to work on the well, best TV what, show in the world, The Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah. yeah. So, and he was just one. He actually gave me all his original photographs. That's amazing. I couldn't believe it when he did that, but uh, but yeah, we've we've and and John Daniels with standby props. He brought me uh, his original sweatshirt that he wore on on set forty years ago, and some beautiful black and white photos of him um, putting you know doing the costumes and dressing up the you know Mel and Bruce and that kind of. Thing. Um, but I've become very become good, really good friends with uh, Jerry Gorsler. Uh, he worked on the first film of Stunty as well. He actually went flying through the air on the goose bike. That was a record oh. in itself. So, um, so yeah. So uh, Jer- Jerry and Dale Aspin, who was the animal hand, Dale Aspin was animal handler and stunt coordinator. Uh, not stunt coordinator. Sorry, she was a stunty as well. Um, so back then it was probably so called snake thrower. <laughs> it wasn't been, could, have been, could have been snake thrower. Uh, so and also Dennis Williams at Double for and drove the trucks. So I've actually just recently got back from a trip going. So I like to visit them. I go over to the uh, to the east coast and catch up with them. And I just feel I just feel it's good to give a little bit back um, to these people. You know, help them out if I can and do a little do a few jobs for them if I can. You know, because. Because even though indirectly what they did for me, you know, they, I mean, they didn't do something for me personally, but yeah. but what they what they managed to achieve on they changed your life. Uh, well, exactly. Change I mean, I, and I, do you know, I often wonder what I'd be doing if I if I hadn't have done, you know, if I hadn't have been to, to the cinema. What I, I don't what know. If what if you'd gone and seen Tootsie that night? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> wouldn't have been right, would it? Where would you be? Oh, that wouldn't. But um, Dustin Hoffman <laughs> would have oh. uh, AVO on you. <laughs> oh, good. But uh, but yeah, and we even had we had Vernon Wells. I mean, I've met, I met Vernon Wells in England, who played Wes, uh, and that was a big deal. One of the two people i want to meet so badly from this film he's such a nice guy and and you know it, it just goes to show how how good how, how really good he was in mad max 2 because he's nothing like the character you must have also loved the connection that his character's name was bennett in commando i was gonna say <laughs> okay. I, did, I did tell him that when he came when he came here i did say that i said do, do you know that your your name in commando is the same as our name you know but and it was wonderful. It was, like, oh, okay. it was just brilliant. It was just, it was very reserved, and it was just, it was just so chilled. And, and you know, at the time, I mean, I don't drink now. At the time, I was having a drink. I said, "Do you want a drink, Vern?" You know, and, and no, no, I'll just, I wouldn't mind a cup, just a cup of tea. He said, and I wouldn't mind having a look around your house because it's obviously with it being an old yeah. house and that wouldn't. And he's a big animal lover. There's, a, there's a lot of Vern people don't know. He, he, he's actually got a sanctuary for this particular type of wolf dog thing. I don't know what the name of it is, but rather than have these, I'm picturing you're obviously talking about like a wolf that's bred with a dog but I'm that's picturing right. like cat dog one end's a wolf <laughs> and one end's a friendly dog it, it, no it, one's bred with the other <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and instead of instead of these animals being put down this is over in the States where he eventually moved to instead of these animals being put down Vern decided to open up a sanctuary which is voluntary run so he's a big animal lover and actually at the time we had our deaf blue healer and this is this is the guy that's worked with Schwarzenegger. He was rolling about in the dirt outside in the red dirt with the dog on the floor. Yeah. And this 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 just you know this just goes to show what what the, you know exactly what the guy was like. It was just brilliant. And we had a great evening with him. You know, absolutely great evening with him. And that, but that was when he came. Yeah, that was two thousand and twelve when I got a phone call from his best friend down in um, Melbourne that said he was going to do a like a quick six week tour of Australia and wanted yeah. to start his tour here. Did you have to run him off at the end of the trip with a steam pipe? Because you're like, leave the dog alone. <laughs> no, but I got to tell you something. We we at the, at the t- when we knew he was coming here, 
Uh, we had a good, fr- good friend in, in Broken Hill that owns it. Uh, it's a big earth-moving company in Broken Hill. And he was giving us an R600 Mack truck, just like the one in the yes, film. Yep. So we decided, we, I arranged with the, with Steve, who owned the, the, the truck, if he could get it up here before Vernon came. So the truck was outside. Yeah. So what we decided to do is, we said to Vern, look, would you be able to recreate your scene of coming up over, over the top of the bonnet? So they got some, his friends and that got some great, we all got great pictures of Vern coming up the bonnet, over the top of the bonnet. But what they didn't realise is his best friend was pushing him on his bum. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't get it. It was lifted because, I mean, Vern's 70, 70, you know, yeah, yeah. Was 70 years old, still quite fit. But yeah, so his mate was pushing him from behind to get him up over the top of the bonnet. But we had some great fun with him. As, as I said earlier, it, it, this, it, I think this is the Aussiness of people. Yeah. This definitely would not happen in Hollywood. You no, know? no. As I said, I, I mean, I know I'm sure there's nice people in Hollywood, but I think there's, there's, I think the thing, you know, it's egos over there. I think when you get to a certain status in Hollywood that you you know you may feel that you you know I think a lot of Aussie Aussie celebrities have to deal with one of Australia's most famous things being the tall poppy syndrome yes if you get too big for your boots an Aussie will friggin let you know yeah. as soon as they can yeah so I think when you come up through that you you know to have that in the back of your mind mm-hmm. so yeah. it's definitely yeah. now one thing I wanted to do because you guys are I guess I'd say you guys are fans <laughs> of Mad Max too mm-hmm. so I found on the internet a quiz from funtrivia.com <laughs> right. about any Mad Max 2 fan quiz. So let's see how right. you go. How do you think you're going to go? You feeling uh, okay? I'm feeling no, right. oh, p- pretty confident. Are we going to go one at a time? I, well, I think a bit of teamwork. You right. just can discuss because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, effort involved. <laughs> right. Given that I got complete high score and right. I'm... If I get one wrong, this is going to be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll have to edit this. If this jumps to the end of the show, you'll know why. Right. So, so we, can, we, we can confer. You can yeah. confer. Excellent. Right. right, okay then. What kind of car does Mad Max drive? <laughs> hmm. uh, in Capri? Is it... Uh, Capri, Cortina. Is it uh, the Terminator, the El Camino, the Hellcat, Kit, or the Interceptor? <laughs> Pretty sure that was the interceptor. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. I was going to say Fun Falcon, I thought it meant what model it was. <laughs> oh. So I didn't say that. Oh, definitely the interceptor. That's how good it is. <laughs> yes. What does it say on the broken down rig that Max finds? On the on the tarp? Well, give us both. Uh, well, no, that's, that's the only place. Is well, anything written? It says, uh, here are your options. Yes. Lord Humongous rules the wasteland. Mm-hmm. The vermin have inherited the earth. Mm-hmm. Mad Max rules the wasteland. Well, Big Papa Pump is a genetic <laughs> yeah, freak. That one. <laughs> it's Scott that Steiner's, yeah. Yes, it's, it's definitely the vermin have inherited the earth. Now, something I also, this isn't part of the quiz, but I just thought of it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, in the wasteland, in your mind, mm-hmm. do you think there's cities elsewhere or the entire wasteland is like what you see in Mad Max 2? You- like, um, not counting anything in the extended franchise, so don't answer because of that. I just want to know... Standalone film that is the Road Warrior, Mad Max Two. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's metropolis like there's rundown cities that people live in, or do you think it's all like essentially like a wasteland, like you see? I feel no, there'd no. be bits of ruins. I'd like to. Did you ever play the Mad Max video game? Because the production I design did. of that was brilliant. There was like ships, you know, in the desert and stuff. I think it had some parts of the world would be like that. So yeah, right. Pretty, yeah. Well, you, you, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, some of the fans are. People that have watched a movie probably may not realise that the, actually with Mad Max 2, there hasn't been a nuclear war. It's just the breakdown and the collapse of society. Society, right. That's why, because it says Max wanders out into the wasteland. It's only until beyond Thunderdome that you actually see that there's been a, been yeah. a, been a war. 
But uh, I, I uh, no, no, I think there'll be. Yeah, I think there'll be. <clears throat> excuse me, I think there'll be cities and things, and uh, but but uh, but there'll be nothing. You know, I think there'll be there's probably gangs guarding cities uh, and things like that. I think I think for for Max to be out into the wasteland is probably safer than him being within a city. So, um, but um, but I like that. I like I like it. Sometimes I I like it where it's not explained. It just yes, leaves yeah. you to think. Yep. Um, you know what it would it's be like. It's not your modern there. day movie mm. where we. We have to get the post credits that mm. not only explains the entire fucking thing, yeah. but tells you about something That's else. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's dumbing down, I think. Yes. Right. Question number three, or whatever we're up to. Mm-hmm. What song does Max's music box play? Is it Pop Goes the Weasel, <laughs> Ring Around the Rosie, What's Love Got to Do With? <laughs> we Don't Need Another Hero, or Happy Birthday to You? Oh, it'd be great if we don't need another oh, hero. Oh, how good would it be? I was hoping that when Fury Road came out, for some reason, um, Hardy would go on Jimmy uh, Fallon and sing I'm that as dressed as Max, but they missed an opportunity. There. Do, do, so, do, do, I think there's always, you, you, I think when you add a theme song or a theme tune to a Mad Max movie, you, you're not going in the right direction. I don't. At least that. if it was Guns and Roses, like <laughs> yeah. you could be mine yeah. from Terminator Two. Well, I can tell you now for sure. I know. I know this answer for sure, one hundred percent, because I've actually got the real music box from the movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's definitely happy Humble birthday. Brag. It's definitely happy, happy birthday. <laughs> Where does the Road Warrior take place? Mexico, Africa, the United States, or Australia? <laughs> <laughs> Points for the accent. Australia, Ooh, Australia, mate. It's got to be Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Who? This is the easiest quiz. What is the name of Mad Max's dog? Dog. Nicely done. Grant is on the board. Uh, what type of animal does the gyro or gyro captain train? Is it dingoes, rats, kangaroos, or snakes? <laughs> trainer. I didn't know trainer. Oh, is, is he it does. a snake trainer? <laughs> well, yeah. he said I. He said I. Tra- he said I it. I'm going to eat it. All right, there you go. Oh, but yeah, it was true. it was a python. Actually. Maybe many ran a train on it. Yeah. He had six <laughs> people. So you never know. You have to ask Bruce. Yeah. Right on the snake. Put it down. <laughs> what do Max, his dog, and the Gyro Captain eat on their first night together? Oh, their first a, night together on their the, romantic day the, at the top of the up pinnacle. on the top of the pinnacle. The dog food, dinky die, uh, dinky die, dinky die. Can, can I t- can I tell you something about that? No, I've, I've, moving right. <laughs> <on. laughs> I've got something interesting to tell. Um, um, in in the in the in the in the film, of course. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I nearly lost me. I nearly I, lost I, me thread. Then I understand what we're talking about. Right. Now, when Max starts to open up the dog food, um, dog sits up and sees Max opening the dog food. Now, then, dog turns round as if he's looking at the gyro captain to think you're not having any of this, and then he looks back. Now, I'll tell you how they did that. Because there's an interesting bit that people probably have missed in this because I think it's mainly on the... You've got to see it really on widescreen more than anything else because they do sometimes chop things down and tell it. But Max Max and Dale were both up the pinnacle. Max, Max has been the stunt coordinator and Dale because Dale trained the dog. Yep. When you see the dog look round as if it's looking at Bruce Spence, if you look on the rock, you'll see Dale Aspin's foot in a thong. She's, <laughs> she's actually she's actually on the pinnacle, and she actually says "dog." So the dog looks at her, and then and she then doesn't Max, react. Yep. And then Max calls the dog back to look his way, and it makes it look like the dog looks at Bruce nice. and then back. Anyway, that was I just wanted people to look out for the foot in the thong. <laughs> so. Nice. And that's very Aussie in itself, the thong. Is the thong. I did not know there was a thong in Mad Max 2. Now I do. How Aussie can that movie be? If only someone coward punched someone in King's Cross in the movie. It would be complete, be. wouldn't it? 
Why do all the oil refiners send three vehicles out of their compound? Is it to find a rig, to find Max, to find some dinky dye, or just for fun? <laughs> for fun. We'd, look, we'd like to think that Papa Gala was that heartless he sent them out for fun, but yeah. I think it was definitely, definitely they were looking for a rig. Nice. Lord Humongous offers the oil refiners safe passage through the wasteland if they what? Negotiate with his gang, give up all of their dinky dye, release their hostages, or just walk away. <laughs> Do you know this one, Grant? I think it's just walk away. It certainly yeah. is. The feral kid fights the Humongous gang with a shotgun, a crossbow, foul language, or a metal boomerang. <laughs> I feel like someone read the back of the DVD yeah, to yeah. make this <laughs> only a Mad Max fan will know. Boomerang. Boomerang. What is the juice? Uh, the juice, the precious juice is the guzzoline, the fuel. The guzzoline. <laughs> Max brings the refiner a rig in exchange for what? Two things. Gives me a big bag of gasoline. For exchange for his... His uh, freedom and his vehicle and as much juice as he can carry. Very nice. His car and the gasoline. What is the name of the crazy biker with the red mohawk? Is it Papa Gallo, Toadie, Wes, or the Lord Humongous? Wes. You just freed up a space at your next birthday. Uh, because you're not actually, I'm not even gonna I did oh. zone out for a few seconds when you're asking the questions. <laughs> Who has a red mohawk? It's Wes. <laughs> The res- I thought his mohawk was white. No, no, it was. It's definitely was. Yeah, I tricked you. So I didn't zone out. I'm only yes. oh. <laughs> What is the gate of the compound? Is it a wall of tyres, a titantron, steel bars, or a school bus? School bus. Can I just add something here? No. We've got the school bus here. The school bus. <laughs> We've got the original bus here, yes. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. What does Lord Humongous do when he realises the refiners aren't going to make a deal with him? Does he find another rig... Attack the compound, burn the two hostages, or leave. <laughs> just, yeah, just leaves. Wait, it burns the hostages, isn't it? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, that was my favourite uh, part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I've got to say, um, much like when you go and watch, you watch like Star Wars and then you watch Empire Strikes Back, where it's like, these are the things I was going to do. Yeah. That's what I feel like with all the bodies on top of the cars in Mad Max 2. It's <laughs> like, oh, let, let's amp this up. We've got to make it bigger for Fury Road. All right. Who smashes Max's windshield and runs him off the road? Is it Wes, Lord Humongous, or the gyro captain? Wes. It's gyro, isn't it? Because it's gyrocopter. I'm saying it's it gyro. Right. It's, it's, it gyro? It's, yeah, it is. But, yeah. you know, so, some, some pronounce it gyro, but it is actually pronounced gyro. gyro. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I learned that at my gyro. <laughs> gyro spiel <laughs> lesson. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, good times. How many hostages did Lord Humongous take? How many hostages did he take? Two? Uh, how one, many? four, zero, or five. What do you mean? One, uh, he took. He had uh, one. How many hostages? There were two on the front of the humongous truck. One on the red XA. One on one oh, of the right. buggies. Uh, what else did he have? I think that's. And you wouldn't count the girl or the guy that uh, no. Max rescued. So no. four. Four. That's right. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So I said. How many shots <laughs> did Max fire in the Road Warrior? Not counting duds. Not ca- Not counting duds. Not counting the duds. How many shots did he fire? Right. So. Hang on a minute. Uh, that was a... How do I know? That was not wait, a dud. Find out. Um, <laughs> so he fired... Two. two. Well, the one he fired in the gun backfired in his gun. Just but then he shoots the, the whole berserker in the cojones through the roof. Two. Then yep. through the windscreen of the... 
thing is it two? Well, it's one, three, or six. One, three, or six. Right, he shot. He shot. Uh, he, sorry, he shot. Um, he shot the black mohawker at the window before he shot the berserker off the roof. So that's two. Yeah. Uh, he shot. Um, he shot the driver of the red XA in the head. Yeah, that was three. Through the windscreen. That's when he goes. Um, there wouldn't be three others, so I reckon it's. It's got to be three. Yeah. Do you know, it's funny, funny the simple things. And you, that and was you, actually a pretty it? tricky question. <laughs> that, that was, was pretty, the problem. Yeah, that made the whole one. quiz. Yeah, crept, uh, that crept up. That crept up <laughs> what up. was the tanker filled with? And nicely yes. done. How many people survived the final chase scene? Is it one, five, three, or seven? Um, Bearing in not, mind the bus went the oh, other right, way. I was going to so try to count every scene in the bus. I was like, you, you, mean, you, you mean as in the... That's feral kid, gyro captain. Yeah. And you mean as in the as in the Marauders as well? Not the Marauders, just the main characters that walk out of that final. Well, not walk out, of, as in, but get out of that final scene. Just three of them, isn't it? Max Ferrell, Max Ferrell, and, and, and the Giant Captain. Yeah. It's straightforward, but you guys are thinking too high. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, now I'm thinking, was anyone else there? What is the flavour of the Dinky Die that Max enjoys? What's the flavour? Meat and veggies. Meat and veggies. Lovely. Your T-shirt currently. <laughs> I looked at <laughs> the thing <laughs> up there as well. <laughs> Well, that's the quiz. Believe it or not, you guys did super well. So I thought we'd have a quick look at the IMDb trivia and just see where you guys sit with it. You probably edit it at night time. (laughs) You close the museum and go and edit it. Mel Gibson only had 16 lines of dialogue in the entire film. Well, 26, 16, yeah. Six in it somewhere. The dog in the film was simply named Dog and he was located locally at a pound. No. And trained. That's oh, what that no, you need to get on there and tell them. It, it, the, the dog was uh, the dog was found at the pound in Yaguna. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. So. Wow. Imagine how many of your kids' birthdays and stuff you'd remember if you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you'd remember your teachers' names from school. All this other stuff that's useless. Um, according to the trivia book, Movie Mavericks by John Sandys, one of the more spectacular stunts in the film was actually a serious accident. One of the motorcycle rider raiders hit a car, flies off the bike, smashes his legs against the car, and cartwheels through the air towards camera. This was a real, genuine accident. Yeah, that's, Did that's you know that. That's pretty pretty much right. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's pretty much. Yeah, how, yeah. Because he was a relative unknown in the U.S., all the original theatrical trailers did not feature Mel Gibson. Instead, focus on the action and chase scenes. Yeah, true. The well, US the, these are these are trivia. Yeah. <laughs> these are tri- well, well, you checking. know, it's funny because um, I had read that a long time ago, but the the US the US um, uh, relic trailer, the actual theatrical trailer, actually does have Mel in it. But it's dubbed, isn't it, with an American actor? No, well, there's not. No, not 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 in the tra- no not in the trailer. No, it's it's because um, I don't even think Max talks in the trailer. To be honest, I don't even think he says much. But no, I found that a little confusing when I read that. So I checked out the trailers and I thought, well, no, it's got Max in it. But um, uh, I'm just trying to think, was that the American one or the? No, it's definitely the American because we show we show the 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 Australian trailer here, which is yep. Mad Max Two. Yeah, the Road Warrior is the American one. But yep. yeah, because I thought when it said it didn't show because it was unknown. And I thought, no, I'll check this out again because I'm sure that I saw him in. The, I'm sure I saw him in the trailer driving the car. Anyway, it was in it was in it unless they, unless they did some other theatrical releases that I'm not aware of. Maybe they did back then. Maybe they, maybe they wanted to get the distribution of it right this time because, of course, the first film uh, failed miserably in America because they dubbed the film and tried to market it as something other than an Aussie film. You know, yep. which we. So I think I think they could have maybe done some more theatrical trailers. Nice. But, uh, but yeah. <clears throat> now, another big segment we have on DVG is where we recast the reboot. No one wants a reboot of 
the Road Warrior. Right. But if you were in charge of recasting Max, mm. who would you put in the role? Even if even Gyrocopter, a gyro captain. Who would you put in these roles? Is this for is this for the comedy element? Or? It doesn't matter. Whatever you want. What is the movie you want to? See? You're forced to see a Mad Max two or AKA Road Warrior remake. Right. Who are you putting in the role of Max? I'd like Jared Butler. Nice. Ooh. So would I in every movie ever. Is Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Carl wow. Urban would be oh, right. Two yeah, movies. Yeah. He's a badass too. Yeah. So I think he'd do Pedro in leather. Other than the fact he's from the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah, very tough. Well, New Zealand, actually. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand, yeah. Well, they, he just I does a lot of back. English accents and everything is in. I thought he was genuinely like the boys and Ragnarok and all that. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure it's it's uh, it's humanly possible to recast the gyro captain. I don't know. I'm trying to... I'm racking my brains here to think of anybody that could be as quirky and out there as Bruce Spence in that role. But listen to this. Do you know... <laughs> got all excited there for a minute. <laughs> You know, I, he just woke when, up when I was when I was chatting to Bruce when I met him here all them years ago, and 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 he was actually Bruce actually told me that he wasn't originally cast in the role. That's the, insanity. Uh, well, that's what I thought, and because could you imagine the film without Bruce? But he can't remember who the actor was. But the the original actor pulled out, so they brought Bruce in a little bit later, and Bruce was quite ill at the time. But anyway, we carried on with the role. So so obviously there was somebody that was originally cast. Before Bruce, but but I'm trying to think of somebody now that would, you know, it, without actually trying to think of somebody that resembles Bruce or that would be the same. St- what do you think, Grant? I don't know. I don't know that guy who plays all the demons and stuff in Guillermo del Toro's movies. I was gonna say what's the, his name, Doug Jones. Doug Jones is yeah, in all the Guillermo. He'd right? be fantastic, but also um, the actor that played Lurch in the Adams Family that's been in a lot of the yeah. Stephen King adaptations. He was in Doctor Sleep. Yeah, he's a really yeah, yeah. tall like. He was in that, um, yeah, I know what you mean. He was in Gerard's game. It, as the bar- yeah, no, yeah, the yeah. Moon Man. Yeah, yeah. Is that no, it'd be all right. Is that yeah. Gerard Butler's game? No. <laughs> um, so and and as for as for Wes, oh, I mean he, Vernon Wells. I mean who could who could do who could do what Vernon did for Mad Max? 2? This is going to sound weird, but do you know who would knock it out of the park? Tom Hardy, more so than but, Max. Yeah. Do you think of his Bronson performance? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put yeah, yeah. that yeah. into yes. Wes. Get you, some arseless chaps, Mohawk, <laughs> put him in there. Do you know, that's the, that's the last person I would have thought of, but actually thinking about it now, after his performance in Bronson. Bronson, yep. He could pull it off, couldn't he? I think so. I mm. definitely think so. Other than the fact he's from the UK, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have to let everyone know that at yeah. every point. <laughs> Guys, the most important question, and I think I already know the answer. What would you give this movie out of 19? 25. 25. Yeah, 25 out of 19. Uh, uh, out of 19? Out of 19. Yeah. That's how we rate things here on DVG. <laughs> I would, I would, well, it might be a little bit of a biased response, but I would have to give it the full marks. I would have to give it the 19. I would have to give it the 19. It's a flawless, it's flawless movie making. It's just incredible. I'll give it 16, and it's your fault. Because you mentioned the universe where Gerard Butler is in it. <laughs> and so I had to take those points away that he's not really. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this special edition. Celebrating the film that is Mammax 2, aka The Road Warrior. Most importantly, where in the world are you guys? How can people check out this amazing museum? Right, okay, so we're in Silverton, which is just over 20, well, about 23 k's out of Broken Hill, which is in the far west of New South Wales. Um, we're only 50 k's over the South Australian border. 
but uh, but that's where we are. So we're, we're, we're 23 k's out of Broken Hill, and um, yeah, just follow the road out, and we're out here in the wasteland, and it's just an incredible place. It's actually we we live on we literally live on a movie set out here. That's Two doors like down this. from the Razorback uh, Museum that I'll be opening <laughs> soon. <laughs> But it's an incredible place, it really is. I mean, as I, as I said earlier, this for me is a real Australia and it's just beautiful. And the sunsets out here are actually, absolutely just incredible. I have lived away from Broken Hill since 2004 and have never experienced the beauty of a sunset here in the outback, honestly. Just just incredible, just absolutely incredible. And that, that seems a bit of an odd coincidence that when we were first coming over here that you moved out of Broken Hill in the I, same year. <laughs> I still, every day I burn a candle in the <laughs> to think that that's the way it happened. No. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Grant, thank you for being here, I'm holding being up here the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just having fun listening. It awesome. was very enjoyable. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Don't forget... If you enjoy what you hear, leave us a five-star review or it's a reflection of your person. (laughs) This is DVG.